Pastor. You did notice that I'm trying to dress like Pastor today. Got the same color coat. You talk about cloning, uh, cloning the team, cloning the team. You know what I'm thinking? I need, we need to be cloning this pastor. Uh, we uh, need pastors like this in our country. And I was thinking today, um, uh, some of these younger men, um, I mean, he's not young. Some of these younger men um, are uh, here and they're learning from somebody that uh, is a great one to learn from and a great one to clone. And so we've got to have some for the future generations. So some of you young men in the balcony might be thinking about the future, being a future generation leader. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 9. And let's stand together out of respect for the Lord and His Word. Hasn't it been a great week so far? Amen. Amen. Um, Just been a blessing. And I hope that you can remember at least one thing so far that's impacted you. And if you do remember one thing so far that's impacted you, let me remind you. I didn't write the Bible. I preached the Bible. So it's God's word that's impacting you. It's not some clever evangelist, but God's word's impacting you through the tool of the evangelistic team. But I do want to know how many of you could think of uh, something already that you can still think of that greatly impacted you that God's given you this week. Would you just lift up a hand if you could think of something? Good. Amen. So hang on to that, and we'll just keep looking for God to continue to build. All right, uh, Matthew chapter 9 this evening, and we're going to dismiss the children third grade down to four years old because my wife is hissing at me. Back to you. All right. That's her way of reminding me. I'm, I'm at Walmart. All I've got to do is listen. If I can't find my wife, she's short. I can't find her. I just listen to, I find her. All right. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Heavenly Father, again, we ask for your blessing, not wanting to take it for granted, but not doubting that you'll give it when we ask for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Tonight, I'm entitling my message, Go to the Harvest. And I want to exhort us, us, to go to the harvest. Now, the first thing that I want to draw attention to, getting right into it, is that we are obligated to do this, and it is our job to do this. And by the way, just while I'm thinking about it, did you know that after the service last night, I didn't even know this, there was a teenage girl that got saved. So God just keeps working, and we're thankful for that. But we are all obligated to do this. Now, the harvest was referring to the unsaved souls who need salvation in this world. Now, sometimes people think that some Christians are sent by God to be great soul winners. But others, and they usually are including themselves, are just not gifted to be a soul winner. And they're not really sent to be soul winners. But this is Wrong. The moment that you were saved, you were commissioned to go to the harvest. Maybe you didn't know that, but you were committed and, com- and commissioned to go to the harvest. Now, the harvest, the Bible says, truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few, and we're all supposed to be going to the harvest. Now, when we read this familiar passage, Who did Jesus say this to? Look at verse 37. 
he saith unto his disciples. So who did he want to go to the harvest? Evidently, it was his disciples. Now, as you look at this, we know it was definitely his disciples because look who he soon, shortly after he made this statement in the scriptures that pray that God would send forth laborers in the harvest, who he sent. He sent his disciples. Right, now look at Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 1 through 7. And when he had called unto him the twelve disciples, he gave power against unclean spirits. Now, we talked the first day about our first call. And this is a harmony of the Gospels. In Mark chapter 3, it's as true as this passage. He called them, and here he gave them power. But in Mark chapter 3, we read he called them that they would be with him and that he would send them forth to preach. Now, in Mark's account, he was talking about how we need to recognize that he wants us to be with him before he sends us out. But here he's trying to just get right at it. Let's get out there and go to the harvest. And so he doesn't give all of the account that Mark does. But he gives these disciples power and he sends them out to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. Real people, just people with real names. Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, to go to the house of Israel. Now, who did he send and who did he want to send? Evidently, he wanted to send his disciples. And he sent them and they went. But I want you to notice who else he sent. Now, shortly after he sent the disciples, it says that he eventually, shortly after that, sent out 70. Now, take your Bibles and flip over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um, now, in Luke chapter 9, you have the harmony of the Gospels where he sent out the disciples, the 12, in Luke chapter 9. But then you go to Luke chapter 10. And I want you to notice verse 1. After these things, after sending out the 12, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. So you notice that it didn't just stop with the 12. Now then, he noticed, as you read the scripture, that he sent out more people. Now, in Acts, there were more than 12. There were more than 70. There were 120 that he sent out. Now, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now, the background in Acts chapter 1 is all the disciples gathered around on Mount Olive, and they saw Jesus ascend up into the heavens. And the angels said, this same Jesus which is taken from you will so come in like manner as ye have seen him uh, go up into heaven. But while these people were standing around, Jesus said, Ye shall receive power, you people that are standing around me right now, and you will be witnesses unto me. So who did he want to send those people that saw him ascend into heaven? And after he ascended up into heaven, these people that saw him go up into heaven went into Jerusalem and went up into an upper room. Now notice verse 14, these all, all these people who saw him ascend into heaven, all these people who he said, you shall be witnesses unto me. All these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, notice this little phrase, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now you know what we find here? Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses unto me to a group of people and it was a hundred and twenty of them. And I want you to notice this. There were women, too, that he gave that commission to. Now, then they stand up there and they pray for ten days. And then the day of Pentecost came. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all who 
those 120 with the women and with the mother of Mary and the brothers of Jesus, all of these, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon, get it, each of them. Now sometimes we think, well, there are 12 disciples up there in this room, and all of a sudden the fire appears above their head, and the Holy Spirit power falls on the 12. This verse says, all that were in that upper room praying, 120 of them, men and women, they each were given the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if we recognize this. Now, they were not empowered to preach behind a pulpit, but they were empowered to be witnesses. And therefore, he evidently wanted the ladies to be witnesses not just the men. Now, if we continue through the book of Acts, we find that there was a fellow named Philip, and he was a deacon, and he went out as an evangelist. He went out witnessing. In Acts chapter 7, backing up before that, there was Stephen, a deacon. He went out witnessing. It wasn't just the pastor. And then as you read in Acts chapter 21, you find that there was Philip had daughters, and they prophesied. Now, the daughters did not preach behind the pulpit. It simply means that the daughters even taught the Word of God. And so here's what we've said rather rapidly. If you look at this and we say there are certain people that God wants to be witnesses, I tell us God wants every one of us to be witnesses. Now, can we say an amen together on that? Can we say an amen together on that? God wants all of us to be witnesses. And so somehow we've got to get this out of our head that there are certain people that are soul winners and certain people that just aren't gifted that way. And God wants everybody who is in the church to be a witness. Now, now to be a witness, we have to go open our mouths and share the gospel. Now, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach means to make disciples. And it continues to be our mission. Now, if you look at 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul told Timothy to commit the doctrines of salvation to faithful men who would teach others. And he did. And they taught the next generation. And this continued to the next generation. And why do we even have church today? Because faithful people, and according to the Acts account, not just men, according to the 1 Corinthians account, only men preaching behind the pulpit, but witnessing not just men, they commit the truths to people to teach others, to teach others, to teach others. And we are, and I know that um, I'm being very fast on this, but we're recipients of the faithfulness of those men and women in each century. And what will be going on in the next century should God tarry? And so what I'm saying is we've got to somehow get out of our head that this is something for certain select people to do, but we're all to be witnesses. Now, Jesus told his first two disciples, Peter and Andrew, these words, follow me and I will make you what? Now, you know what Jesus is going to tell his last two disciples before he returns? He will tell them, if any man will come after me, take up his cross and follow me. And he'll say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they followed him and they fished for him. Now in short, if we're saved, please don't think that I'm just saying words that I'm supposed to say. And please don't think that I'm just rallying the troops because, hey, this is what evangelists do. I am seeking to preach a message to the body 
that God once preached, and I'm seeking to give truth that God once preached and taught, and this is truth. If you are saved, you are sent. If you're a saved man, you are a sent man. If you are a saved woman, you are a sent woman. And this is not happening in our churches today. Wherever there's a salvation, there's a commission. If you're a teenager and you're saved, you're commissioned. You're given the great commission. And where we follow, we are all going to have to fish. And we're all obligated to do this. Now, notice this, that we are also all called the sons and the daughters of God. Take your Bibles, and I want to turn to Matthew chapter 21. And in Matthew 21, I want to look at a passage about this issue of going to the harvest and what Jesus says by way of illustration. Now, in Matthew 21, 28 through 31, if we could just change our thinking and quit thinking the pastors and the evangelists and the gifted people are sent. And if we could, if there's a man here, your wife is a great witness and a great soul winner, but you as a man have never, ever, ever really got involved in church ministry. You as a man have never, ever really had enough courage to witness to somebody. I want you to know that God has a plan for you. And it's a good thing. And he has a plan for you to actually be doing this. Not a guilt thing, but a great thing. And he called you to serve as much as he called your wife to serve. He called you to serve, lady, as much as he called your husband to serve. And we're in different places, but anyone who is saved is sent. A salvation always has a commission. Now... As we're all daughters and sons of God, notice the story that we have read before in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 through 31. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. But what think ye, Jesus is teaching. A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he what? He repented and went. And he came to the second son and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Whither of the twain did the will of his father? Now, there are many of us in here that have been in revival meetings in the past, and God stirred the hearts of young people, and God stirs my heart as an evangelist, God stirs your heart as a layman about witnessing. And you know what we often do? We'll say, I'll go. Right? But we don't go. And we've had good intentions for a number of years, and sometime we're going to have to quit having good intentions and we're going to have to get going. Now, can you remember if you've said ever in your past, I'm going to be a witness for God, I make a decision to be a witness for God. If you've done that before, would you say amen? Amen. Now, if you've determined to be a witness for God but you haven't been that yet, you're like that child of God, very much loved, but disobedient to the Father. And talking about going to the harvest, but not going to the harvest. Now, if you're that kind of a person, and if I'm that kind of a person, we need to repent. That means change our mind and get out there and get at it. All right, but I'm talking to some here today, and I'm not being mean, But I'm talking to some of you here today who have never one time ever done a bit of witnessing. And in your mind, you have been saying, no, no, no. Now, you're not saying, no, God, I don't want to serve you. You're saying, yeah, I'm I'm okay with this. I kind of like this, and I'll go to church, but it's just not me. No, I'm not doing that. Now, are you somebody 
who has said, hey, I love God. I want to serve God. I'm just not gifted in that. I won't do that. You're not going to get me doing it. All right, you could be like that son who said, I won't go. And if you repent, God will be pleased. If you repent and change your mind and just keep going. And what this points out is God doesn't want us just to say we're going to go. He wants us to say we're going to go, and then he wants us to go. And then God doesn't want you to say, I'm not going to go. He wants you to change your mind and go. And both sons, he wants to go. And every one of us, each one of us, just as it's the day of Pentecost, they were each filled with the Holy Ghost. And any child of God has the Holy Ghost. And so if it's a man who's saved, he gets the Holy Ghost. If it's a woman who's saved, she gets the Holy Ghost. And each person is commissioned. Now, first thing is that we're all obligated to go. And I don't know if, will we accept that? Will we accept that? Will you accept that as a man who's never one time witnessed because you don't feel good at it? Now, it's true that some are gifted more than others, more natural than others, but we're all gifted in some way, different than anybody else. I'm not here to give us a feel-good sermon, but I'm saying God called us, God equips us, and if you've got the Holy Spirit power, you've got some kind of power. And will we accept, first of all, that we're all commissioned to go? That we're all commissioned to go. Now, If you have not believed that before, change your mind. Change your mind. Because we're all commissioned to go. And an exhortation, a truth to the churches, to the church. Biblical truth. We are all commissioned to go. Now, first, we're obligated to do this. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is simply, we should want to do this. We should want to do this. All right, let's look back at chapter 9. And verse 36, Matthew 9 and verse 36. What made Christ want to gather the harvest, send forth laborers into the harvest? What made Christ want to get the harvest? So he said, pray that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest, Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So what made Christ want to gather the harvest? It happened when he saw the multitudes as sheep, as sheep. Now, when you look at this as sheep having no shepherd, here's what it speaks of real quickly, and it speaks of danger. They're prey to the beasts. Now, Satan is the beast that devours people. They're prey without a shepherd. They're open to his hunt. There are beasts like drug dealers. Heroin. The beast gives them heroin. And sometimes they put something that's addictive in it on purpose, even more addictive than just the heroin in itself. And these sheep have no shepherd and they're being preyed upon. We should want to help them. And as you look at these people, they're in great danger. It speaks of danger. It speaks of need. No one to provide for them. Starvation. It speaks sheep. Scattered abroad. That means they're cast out. It sees them as unloved. Everybody needs somebody to love them. Wouldn't you agree? Now, God gave us a mind. And so we have doctrine That has to be biblical, and we have to have that doctrine to be a strong church. But don't forget, God gave us a heart. And we've got to have a heart, and we've got to have compassion if we're going to be an effective church. 
Now, when we look at people as sheep, having no shepherds scattered abroad, it's a picture of these people have nobody to love them, and they need somebody to love them. Now, God loves people that nobody else loves. I was on a mission trip in Antigua or St. Kitts, and I looked across the corn, the, the uh, um, sugarcane field, and we saw a fire in the sugarcane field. I might have shared this with the teachers the other day. I can't remember. But my daughter and I saw this fire, and we thought we better go see if it's out of control. So we went back, and we found out it was not out of control. It was a squatter who was cooking some food. Now, if you don't know what a squatter is, he's somebody that is so poor, he doesn't have any place to live, and so in a foreign country, they'll take over land that's not there and build a little place. And if the owner of the land is nice enough, he'll let them stay. So anyway, he took a machete and he chopped out an area about the size of the inside part of this auditorium, and he had put down little stones and made little sidewalks on the dirt that he had, had something to walk on. And then in the corner on this side, he had a little dome-shaped oven in which he would boil, uh, burn wood and turn it into charcoal and sell it to the rich people because they always cook with charcoal. Now, as far as I could tell, this squatter was the low life. He was a charcoal maker, and nobody loved him. But by the end of the week, my daughter and I had seen him several times, and he had seen her love for him. And at the end of the week, we got to win him to Jesus Christ. Scattered abroad, totally unloved, but God saw them as sheep that he wants to be saved from the prey. We went on a mission trip to Romania. And as I went into Romania, I remember as we drove to a place to get some water, there was a cliff. And the way we got our water is we beat a metal rod into the cliff and it caught a spring and water shot out and it was carbonated water. And we would put it in two liter bottles and that's what we would carry with us on our trip to, to drink. Well, when we got there to get our water from that village, all these little children came out of the woods. And as they came out of the woods, they came around me, sticking their hands out, and they were looking for me to give them something. So I reached in my pocket. They were all laughing, and I was going to give them some candy or some coins. And the driver looks at me, and he says, Stop it. Hey, don't give them anything. And I looked at him, I said, what do you mean? He says, don't give those kids anything. You'll never get rid of them like they were a bunch of dogs. I said, well, who are these kids? These kids are just vagabonds. He said, they're abandoned by their parents. Their parents couldn't feed them, didn't want them, so they take them out in the woods and they drop them off, and they're everywhere in those woods. They're a bunch of vagabonds. And this is the way he talked about them. And he said, most of them die from starvation, but some of them survive, and they're just animals, is basically what he was saying, though he didn't use that word. And so we go on to one of the orphanages, and here's one that they had just taken out of the woods, and this one had only been in the orphanage for probably a week, and this one was malnourished and was very deformed. And so I remember asking the lady, where's this child from? And she said, we just got her out of the woods, and she's probably the same age as your daughter, but she looks a lot younger because she hasn't been fed. So I picked her up and I put her on my shoulders. And I started playing with her as we walked through the orphanage. I leaned this way and she'd lean that way and she'd laugh and grab my head. I'd lean this way, she'd laugh. I'd lean this way, she'd laugh, lean this way. And the whole time she's playing with my hair and my wife comes to me and she says, let's adopt her. I said, okay. So we tried to adopt her, but we couldn't adopt her. They wouldn't let us for some reason. But the lady said, you think this is bad? You ought to go to the other orphanages. They have so many children that they don't even give them a name. They just put a tag on them. And they live their first three years in a crib without any name. And they stare like zombies with no love. Because nobody loves them and even gives them a name. Now the world is filled with scattered abroad sheep. And they need someone to see them and to love them. And we've got those people all around us. And what God says is he gave us a mind, he gave us emotion, and he gave us a will. Well, let's use our mind 
and look at the Word of God and understand what it says. If you are saved, you are sent. Let's use our mind and understand what it said. If you're a man or a woman, you are sent. And let's use our mind. If you're a son of God whom he deeply loves and you said, I won't go, you need to change your mind and go. And let's use our mind and see what it says. If you are someone who has said, I will go, but you honestly, with your good intentions, haven't gotten to going, you need to get going and going to the harvest. Now, let's use our heart and let's feel it like Jesus felt it and have compassion on these people. And then let's use our will and let's get at it. Now, how did Christ stir the hearts of the disciples to go? Let's turn back to Mark, um, Matthew uh, chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, he says in verse 36, There are sheep scattered abroad, having no shepherd. That's how he saw them. But he didn't at this point say, Disciples, look at those people. They're like sheep. Scattered abroad with no shepherd. That's what moved his heart when he saw them that way. But then he's trying to stir the disciples to get them to go to the harvest. And so how does he stir the disciples? He uses the terminology harvest. That's why I entitled the message, Let's Go to the Harvest. Okay? Now, with the terminology of the harvest, and he's stirring the hearts of the disciples to go, it was making them see the multitudes as people to go after, and they did, he used the term harvest. Now, he says the harvest is plenteous. Now, plenteous, as you are aware, when you go around harvest time through Illinois, you see cornfields and cornfields and cornfields and cornfields and stalks and stalks and corn and corn and beans and beans and sometimes you look over those bean fields and there is plenteous of a harvest. There are plenty corn stalks to be harvested, plenty of wheat grain to be harvested. And he's using the imagery for us all to see the harvest is plenty. Now, we're saying nobody wants to be saved. There's nobody who gets saved anymore. God is saying that's not true. The harvest is plenteous, and it's ripe already on the harvest. Now, people are looking for answers all over the place, and we see them looking for answers, so they go to all these weird things, and that means they're ready, they're plenteous. And you know what I think, think about the unsaved people in our public schools? Not all unsaved, not all in the public schools are unsaved, but the vast majority have not had the opportunity. And you know what we say? Well, they're just rejecting God's word. They're rejecting God's word. You want to know something? Young people haven't had a chance to reject it because they haven't even heard it. And when we have a generation that hasn't even heard it, we've got an advantage. They haven't been told all of the junk that they have been told. And I know they're getting junk, but if we would understand the harvest is plenty, it's, it's there, it's multitudes, it might move us. Now, it's a harvest, and here's another thought of a harvest, it represents value. Now, you ask a farmer if there's any value in a harvest, he'll say, yes, it's my livelihood. And it represents value, and the question is, how valuable is the soul? I spoke to the teachers about the value of a soul. More than all the money in the world, Matthew 13. And it's the most valuable commodity in the world. Now, David Brainerd saw the value of a soul. David Brainerd said, I don't care where I live, I don't care what I eat, I don't care what I wear, as long as I reach souls for Jesus. Charles Spurgeon saw the value of a soul. He was given an opportunity to come to America from London and preach for 50 messages. And if he'd preach 50 times, they'd give him $50,000. Spurgeon wrote back and said, you can keep your $50,000. I could stay here in London and do better than that. I can see 50 souls saved for Jesus Christ. Now, 
The harvest imagery is its plenteous. It represents value. See value in people. It's needing to be harvested before it's lost. Now, it says it truly is ripe already unto harvest. Now, you ask a farmer about harvest, and they'll tell you, when it's ready, you better bring it in. And if you don't bring it in when you can bring it in, you're going to lose it. Am I right? Now, friends, if we don't start bringing in our generation, we're going to lose it. There are people in hell today because we didn't seek to harvest yesterday. And we cannot get that harvest again. It's done. It's lost. Now, when we understand that this is a harvest, and he says, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest, when the fields are white already unto harvest, get them now. Because the time may come when we can't get them. Get that brother, get that sister, get that neighbor, get that parent, get that cousin, get that co-worker. Because you might lose them if you just put it off. It's an eternal harvest. Now Jesus had his disciples come to him in John chapter 4 and they said, Jesus... Have you had anything to eat? And he says, I have meat that you know not of. And what he was talking about was reaching the Samaritan woman. And Jesus was saying, I've got meat. So the disciples look around and said, did you give him bread? Did you give him bread? No. Did you give him? Nobody gave him any food. He didn't have any food. But you know what he was trying to say? I have meat that you know not of. He said, there is a Samaritan woman and a whole city here. And my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And he is saying, I am more concerned about these souls than I am feeding my belly. And he's saying, there's some things more urgent than my own needs. It's that the harvest is not lost. Now, we ought... All are obligated to do this, and these are some truths from God's Word. Directing, I believe, the evangelist to say to his church, we're obligated, men and women, each given the Holy Spirit so we could have power to be witnesses, not to just sit there and enjoy it our salvation, but to enjoy our salvation, but also to go after the harvest, each one of us. And sons who have said, I will, but have not, need to go. Sons who have said, I will not, need to repent. And let's all, let's all go. Now the harvest is something we're all saved, we're all sent. We're all sal- salvation is, there's commission. And if we have truly decided to follow him, we're going to be fishing. Now then, um, we've talked about we're all obligated to do this, but secondly, we also want to do this. If you agree with me, would you say an amen? amen? All right, now the third thing is the way that we do it. Now this might be um, something different than what we might normally think, but I really think if we do this, I think it will make a difference, okay? All right, let's look at Matthew 9 and verse thirty. Matthew 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, stay with me and hear me out. Notice what Jesus did. Now, we say, well, we've got to get busy soul winning, so let's do this. We're going to get this visitation program going, and we're going to get that bus route going, and we're going to get people going out on Saturdays and knocking on doors. 
All right, listen. We've got to get people going and knocking on doors, but if all we do is knock on doors, we're not going to be effective just knocking on doors. I'm going to tell you this. If we don't knock on doors or we don't go into villages, we won't be effective. But the first thing Jesus did is he went about preaching and teaching. And that's what we do when we get out knocking on doors. But the second thing he did, he went about healing every disease and sickness that he was confronted with. He did everything he could to heal them, and he healed them all. Now, he went about teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, when Christ sent out the twelve, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out the devil. Freely ye have received, freely give. All right, now, when Christ sent out the 70, let's look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 8. Luke 10 and verse 8. He said to the 70 that he sent, just like he sent the 12, just like he went himself, he said, do the same thing. Luke 10 and verse 8. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such as things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein. And say, uh, that means preach unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now, you know what we must do? What we have to do if we're going to begin to be effective in our evangelism? We must preach and heal. Now, follow me. Preach and heal. That's what Christ did. Preach and heal. That's what disciples did. Preach and heal. That's what the 70 did. Now, do you know what? They were given special powers of healing. I believe the healing signs are, are, are done. But here's the idea. When you healed, you're relieving them of their pain. You're relieving them of their hurt. And you were loving them. You were caring for them. And you know what you were doing? Basically, you were blessing them. So what we must do is we must preach and bless. Preach and bless. And if we don't begin to do both, we won't have much of a harvest. Now, we must preach. I give the gospel to people. Jesus preached the gospel. The disciples preached the gospel. Preached what? The gospel. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel wherein ye stand by which also you are saved. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scripture. And if you believe, this is the gospel by which you are saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. All right, now, we can preach and teach, and share the gospel. And that is the key to us being effective at doing the Great Commission. We preach. Now, whenever I go soul winning, I always try to use the Word of God. If I go up to a lady, she opens the door, Harrison Curler, kitchen's on fire, kids are screaming, telephone's ringing, and she had an appointment five hours ago that she's late for. I'll say, ma'am, you look busy. But can I just... Give you a Bible verse and give you something to read. First John 5.13 says, These things are written. You may know you have eternal life. And here's a track. You can read about it. You can know you're going to go to heaven. Thanks. Have a nice day. Read about it. And I make my way out. What did I do? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And she heard the word. It'll work. You know how I witness to a Muslim? Use the word of God. You know how I witness to a Buddhist? Use the word of God. You know, I witnessed a Jew use the Word of God. Anytime we use the Word of God, it will begin to put faith in somebody. And we can do that. Now, so if we all are sent, and if we all are told how to be effective, 
That means we all are to preach the gospel. And if you don't know how to preach the gospel, this is a simple message from an evangelist. And I'm not lifting myself up. I'm saying I believe from the bottom of my heart that God calls evangelists to strengthen the body. And I believe with all my heart that God is a message for the body. We're all called to go, every one of us. And here's why sometimes we don't go. We don't know how to do it. And, folks, here's what God's answer for that is. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so here's what I would say. If you don't know how to share the gospel with somebody, you can learn. And you may not know as much as pastor. You may not know as much as some other person. But you can learn John 3.16 and then go from there to Romans chapter 3. Then you can learn the next one. Go to 1 John 5. And there are places in the scripture. And if you'll study, you will be a, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. It can be used. All right, now, this is what God says. We must preach, okay? So we have to give the gospel and it will work. Now, then it says this, and this is what I want us to start thinking about, okay? We must be a blessing. Now, we cannot heal the sick, raise the dead, do the miracles like in the Bible days, perhaps. But we can, however, heal the hurting hearts. Perhaps comfort those that mourn on purpose. When people are mourning, comfort them on purpose. Go to them, comfort them. It's one thing when a pastor visits a sick one in a hospital and another thing when a layman visits a sick one in a hospital. It's one thing when a pastor visits somebody who just lost a loved one and then when a neighbor visits somebody who just lost a loved one. And so we can have passion on these people, be a blessing to them. We can't heal them physically, but we can heal their hurt maybe. Comfort those who mourn. Do good to those that hate us. Be a blessing to them that hate us. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Now this is not a social gospel. It's what God says we do. And he says that men will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you know what that means? Your good works? Your good deeds. And we need to do more good deeds. Now, good deeds won't get us to heaven, but it might get someone else to heaven. And so we've got to start going preaching and blessing. Preaching and blessing. Now, God never gave Mike Pelletier the ability to heal the sick. But God gave Mike Pelletier, I think, an ability to show I care. I think it was my father's suicide when I was a young boy. It, it got me. And it shaped my heart a little bit. Now, I might have something I can share. Maybe there's somebody here that you're a good cook. That's a gift that God gave you. You can use it to be a blessing. And maybe as a result, you might get to give the gospel. Now, don't wait until you have a friend and this friendship evangelism where all you do is you wait and then after a while they're going to see you're different God says, preach and bless, not just bless. But the combination of go, preach, and heal, preach, and cast out devils, preach, and raise the dead, preach, and bless, that combination is what reached the world. Now, what gift do you have that maybe you can do? Maybe you're young people. Your gift is you can play volleyball. Find an unsaved girl and play volleyball with her and be a friend. You young men, maybe you can play basketball. There's a big maybe. <laughs> Only kidding. Now, maybe you can play basketball. You can play basketball with an unsaved person and be a friend. You who are pretty good with construction, maybe you can help a neighbor lady who needs her roof done. But what power has God given you so that you could be a blessing. All right, now the last thing I want to look at is where that we're supposed to do this, okay? Now first, I want you just to notice where Jesus went. Turn back to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 9. 
Is that where our text was? Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, it says where we're supposed to do this is where Jesus did it. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness. He went to cities and villages. Now then... When he sent out the 70, he sent them to cities and villages. When he sent out the 12, they went into cities and villages as you look through the scriptures. And so, cities and villages. Now, this picture is a harvest, and um, I could say that we are to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the Great Commission. So, the harvest is really a worldwide harvest. Now, I'm serious about this. There could be some man here tonight that God's wanting you to go to a mission field, like the gentleman who went on Sunday. A harvest, a worldwide harvest. But then the harvest is also locally, and local villages and local cities. Now, we are a church, we have a commission, and our commission is we should go to the harvest. And... The second is we should want to do this. And the way that we do this is preaching and blessing. And then where we do it, the cities and villages. Now, let me just ask you, can you name a city around this area? What would it be? Anybody just holler out one city. What was that first one? Bellevue. Okay. Is Bellevue a city? Okay. What's another one around here? Okay, Willow Springs, and I think I heard something over here. Okay, and then there's a city called Ocala. And what other cities are around here? Williston. I think that we could go for quite a while because there are lots of cities and villages. And we live in different ones. And we're each supposed to be doing this. Now, I was in a church, and I close with this, of 250 people. And they had an organized visitation program. And you know how many people went out out of 250 people? Three on visitation. Now, it was organized. It was every Saturday. And you know how many people went out? Three. And you know who those people were? It was the pastor, the pastor's wife, and the guy who was an evangelist. Now, do you know that's not right? And you also need to know the harvest in that city is being lost. And this city cannot be lost. We've got a job to do. Let's um, consider, let's consider, um, is it true that every Christian is called to go? Is that true? I know we're going to say it, but let's say it anyway. Is it true? Yes. Is it true that every person in that upper room, even the women, were equipped to be witnesses and meant to be witnesses? And is it true that the way we do it, if we can see it, is we preach the word, but we also bless as many as we can bless. Freely ye have received, freely give. And if we'll decide to do this, there'll be a harvest. Let's bow our heads.